music, athletics, arts, and entertainment. The Desert Tiger Podcast with Colton Geschwader. A little over a year ago, the band I was playing in was approached by a friend of ours, Brad Cole, and asked if we wanted to open for Canadian punk rock icons, Belvedere for a show that he was promoting on October 7th, 2016. Belvedere is a band that has toured the globe on various occasions, garnering themselves a very dedicated fan base in places like Europe, South America, and Asia. The band released four albums before their initial breakup in 2005, those albums being Because No One Stopped Us in 1998, Angels Live in My Town in the year 2000, Twas Hell Said Former Child in 2002, and Fast Forward Eats the Tape in 2004. Those albums were full of skateworthy, catchy and quick, angsty and political anthems of the time they were created. The late 90s, early 2000s skate punk rock era. They may have been behind bands like Chicks Dig It, Propagandy, and Sum 41, but this didn't keep Belvedere from breaking outside of the Canadian music scene and going so much further. They reformed in 2012 to play a couple shows and eventually ended up releasing their fifth album in 2016, entitled Revenge of the Fifth. Revenge of the Fifth not only picked up on where Belvedere left off, but saw the band become more straightforward, almost wizened by their years away from the band. So you can imagine that I myself was more than ready to perform on that evening. After a fantastic show that also featured Clipwing from Winnipeg, Belvedere twilighted the evening with an array of classics from across their five albums. After their set, I had the pleasure of meeting Stephen Rawls, front person and guitarist of Belvedere in person, and was very happy to see that he was very humble even after all the years of being on the road. You can also imagine I was very excited when Stephen Rawls agreed to meet with me for a one-on-one interview looking into the history of the band, his solo work, and where Belvedere stands now. Hello and welcome to the Desert Tiger Podcast. I am your host, here as always, Colton Geschwantner, and this is episode 8 with Stephen Rawls of Belvedere. Alright, before we get into our interviews, you know we like to look at a couple of things and listen to a little bit of music. So let's start it off with what's new in video games this week. It's a little bit of a catch-up week on previous releases, as there's really only two games coming out this week. That being Call of Duty World War II on PS4, PC, and the Xbox One. I was pretty sure that Call of Duty had looked at World War II before, but I guess... Whatever. They can do what they want. Also on the PS4 and the Vita, there is Summon Night 6, so if you're a little bit of an RPG player, maybe that's something you want to look into. Alright, that's actually all there is for video games this week. Like I said, this is a little bit of a week to catch up on previous releases that maybe you picked up and you haven't gotten to. Let's take a look at comics. Alright, this week in comics, we have the Jetsons number 1 dropping off DC. This is a postmodern take of the Jetsons like they did with Flintstones recently and has Jane working at NASA and George is a little bit stuck in the past and isn't into the, all the new technology that's going around. 
We also have a couple of other number ones from DC this week. That being Black Lightning, number one, and Deadman, number one. Both of these series are being renewed by DC and have artists that led both characters to their rise, retaking the lead mantle on those characters, which is fantastic. We also have from DC this week that you should look at Batman The Dark Prince Charming, which is written and drawn by Enrico Marini, Italian comic legend, and has Batman taking a little bit more of a European style, and is given a bit of a twist in this hardcover edition, which only runs for $12.99. We have from Image Comics, Gravediggers Union number one, which is starting out, and is a bit of a comedy-based horror series and sees the Gravediggers Union being the only thing that can hold the world from going into apocalypse. In music this week on over at the Jukebox, we have Anti-Flag dropping American Fall. So if you're one of those Anti-Flag diehards, you should probably give that one a listen. From Converge, The Dusk in Us is coming out, which is always awesome to hear from those guys. If you're into metal, Cannibal Corpse it dr- is dropping Red Before Black this week. So if you're into the head banging and the mosh pitting, maybe get that on your rotation. And if you have a sweet spot for a little bit of pop, maybe you're looking at Sam Smith. Alright, that's all we have for our new music, comics, and video games this week, so let's get into our song of the day, which comes to us from our guest today, Belvedere. The song of the day is going to be Shipwreck. It is very quick, it's very catchy, and it has killer riffs. I hope that you guys enjoy it as much as I do, and I hope you enjoy our interview with Steve Rawls from Belvedere.
Desert Tiger Podcast, Stephen Rawls from Belvedere. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Uh, you guys recently played a few shows out east. How was that for you guys? It was really good. Yeah, we did um, We did uh, uh, Toronto, Ottawa, and St. Hyacinth, Quebec uh, Festival out there with uh, Bird Attack Records, and uh, it was awesome. We were there with, uh, with Such Gold, Sled, and 88 Fingers Louie. Um, Ontario and Quebec's always been really good for us. So, yeah, really That's good. good. How, yeah. Uh, you guys played a festival out there? Yeah, we did this festival uh, called the Invasion Festival, which was mostly Bird Attack Records bands, uh, all the four bands that were sort of touring together, but then plus okay. uh, some Quebec bands that were on Bird Attack, um, Dutch Nuggets, um, uh, a couple other ones there too. Off the top of my head, can't think, but um, yeah, it was it was great. Okay. How long have you guys been days, with, uh... so. How long have you guys been with Bird Attack? Uh, it's been... We just did the one record, the last just one. Just the we, Revenge of the Fifth? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was... Um, so I guess maybe the better part of a year and a half. And Garrett okay. and I have been buds for a long time, and uh, Bird Attack kind of morphed into an actual label, and that was good timing for us when we were thinking about releasing something. That's good. Where does the name Belvedere... Where so that so that came that came up in well okay we started in '95 so yeah. I would say probably late '94 it was just kind of a, a we took it from uh, uh, the, the the show Mr Belvedere you know oh, okay. and so this is going back quite a bit you know it's it's become kind of a, a generic name at the time we mm-hmm. weren't really that serious it was just a bunch of kids in a basement so we thought maybe we'd play a show or two so you know you, you didn't really put a lot of thought into it a band name but so you, you know, just grabbed it and then it eventually stuck well it stuck and then we ended up really doing a lot of stuff and so it's funny you know then all, all of a sudden you get the cigarettes and the vodka and every every second town in Italy is called Belvedere so it's uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's the most uh, it's not the most original name in the world but it's stuck with us okay so you mentioned that you guys started in 95 how did Belvedere get its start well, I was just getting out of high school and, um, you know, just, just found, found a buddy uh, down at a music store here and, uh, you know, found a drummer and that was it. We were just going to like, you know, I had a label, a record label at the time called Hourglass Records and I was putting okay. out stuff from, from Downway and uh, I was putting out a, a compilation CD of four local bands and, and I just wanted to, to record four Belvedere songs thinking that was all we were going to do is do that and maybe play a couple of shows and, um, and kind of... You know, I, I thought the label was going to be the focus. You know, so you so, thought your band was going to more so support the label bands type thing. Yeah, I, well, I didn't even think we would do anything to be honest with you. I just I thought I was going to be the label guy that that just had a band on the side. But then mm-hmm. it turned out that that the band grew bigger than the label, and 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 that became my focus for a long time. I mean, really, my full time job for the better part of fifteen years. So yeah. So how long did you end up running a label for? I had the label Hourglass Records from ninety. Four, late 94 till I think 2002 I kind of finally threw in the towel most of the bands at that point had either broken up or gone on to bigger labels and I was okay. so busy with Belvedere that there, you know I had nothing else I had no other time for anything else it was really hard to balance the both of them yeah no for sure it was absolutely yeah I could see how that'd be very hard 
getting that to all balance. And we got to remember too that at that time Belvedere was out 200 days a year, maybe 250. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you guys really at your peak back yeah, then. Yeah, in terms of how much we were out, that was definitely our peak. Okay. Uh, what is the Belvedere's? Well, I guess I should ask. What was your writing process like for the first four albums before your guys' like hiatus? I guess all. Well, it, it definitely wasn't a hiatus. We split for good, but okay. um, cooler heads have prevailed, and we've all gotten older and decided it was a good idea to come back. And we sort of mended the issues that we had in the past. But writing process, I mean, the, the last record was good in that we had all the time in the world. We didn't have deadlines. It was always mm-hmm. tour, you know, tour cycle, record put out an album tour again where this time it was you know we had all the time in the world and, and which is good because we don't really have all the time in the world right now yeah um so you know we can only jam once every couple weeks um we were recording in small chunks our, dr- our drummer casey has a studio so we were able to go in and we wrote this album over two years versus sometimes weeks you know okay so you started do. writing it like shortly after the 2012 tour then? Or? Yeah, maybe maybe 2014 we started writing. So maybe okay. I'd say maybe about a year and a half to write it, and it took us two months to record it. So oh, wow. about two and three hour chunks at a time. And then your newer drummer was the one who recorded it all He recorded you? it, and then we mixed it with um, at the Blasting Room in Colorado. And yeah. they've, they've done lots of good records, Lagwagon and A Willem Scream and Descendants and stuff like that. Oh, so. awesome. So they have a pretty reputable... Oh yeah, too. yeah. That was that was um, a place that we'd wanted to go for you know you know to for a long time. That's good. Where did you end up like recording the first couple albums? Uh, that was a mix. So we did our first album. We did in Vancouver for the cost of a of a kick drum mic <laughs> on, a, on an eight track on an eight track, and we did it in about five days. Um, it was cool because you know you do it on an eight track, you have to really hone your skills, you know, because there was no like. You know, multi tracks of, mm-hmm. of of background harmonies. We sat there like you know, four of three or four of us around a mic singing it, you know, live, and that was the takes that we got, which is you know very familiar to uh, to, to how things kind of used to be, and, mm-hmm. and and it was on one inch tape, and and the whole process was was pretty crazy. So, but um, we did that that first record in Vancouver with a friend of mine, Kyle, and the second one we did in Vancouver at a place called Greenhouse Studios. Um, and uh, we did, yeah, we did that in '98, and then the third one we did in Calgary, uh, and then the fourth one we also did in Calgary um, with our, my old buddy Blair Calababa. So, okay, yeah, cool. Um, does your writing process change like at all when you were in? This is a standoff or for your solo project at all? Like, oh, it's huge. It's it's because Belvedere has its way of doing things, but <laughs> this is a standoff is a tricky thing because one guy lives in Ottawa, yeah. two, two guys live in Edmonton, and I live in Calgary. So oh, wow. it's not just the local band, you know, getting together to jam. So <laughs> we, uh, John, on the first record with this is a standoff, he was out here for a month, and we were just doing construction together, and we were jamming and writing at night. Um, okay. After that, it got very where we were sending files back and forth because there was no other way to do it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, this was a standoff was a different thing because, again, that was supposed to be just this fun little side band I did after yeah. Belvedere broke up. And then that band ended up doing three records and hmm. touring to 30 countries and everything. Ended up becoming more than you expected very, it to be yeah, once again. For sure. You know, and I guess that says a little bit. Of, uh, I just can't sit by just kind of be in the local band. I have to get out there and play because playing shows and meeting friends and stuff is, 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 is as important to me as the music is. So, well, it's getting out there and meeting new people and actually yeah. seeing how your music has affected them yeah. is huge yeah and, and the, the the acoustic thing I mean that's its own thing altogether because I have no timelines I have no other no other people to clash with it's I'm my own worst critic critic so okay um, for those <laughs> who haven't heard your solo work how does it differ like lyrically or energetically from 
say, the Belvedere, besides just being an acoustic project? Yeah, I mean, it is a lot different in terms of music. I mean, it, it's probably more of your sort of, um, I don't know, Jack Johnson style of, of music. Um, it's pretty mellow, um, and it's a lot more personable than, I, I, I guess it's more, like, half that album's about my wife, so, okay. you know, it's, it's like, it's a love album versus, mm-hmm. you know, socially social commentary and okay. uh, of, of, of Belvedere. Personal. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a different thing. I, you know, I, I didn't feel, I, I felt like I was getting out everything I needed to say on those kind of topics with Belvedere and this is a standoff where this was just okay. about like, you know, my life and, and mm-hmm. how I perceive it. Well, that's good. You always kind of have to have those different, I guess, what would I say, those means to get out those different oh, feelings yeah. and it's a different. Energies. It's a different, you know, it's a different kind of outlet, you know. So I did kind of put myself out there because you can't really blame anybody but yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you take all the criticism for it. But I think a lot of people, um, you know, it certainly didn't appeal to a lot of Belvedere fans, but I think a lot, a lot of people kind of got it. And it was just, you know, it's it's nice Sunday chill music. <laughs> all I said is some people are going to come at you and be like, well, it's too different. And it's like, well, it's not Belvedere. So yeah. what do you expect, yeah. right? No, I think I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I, I have a few different outlets to, um, to, to, to put out different music because I do like different music, you know. Okay, um, if you don't mind me asking, you said that you guys actually broke up. Is there any specific reason that led to that? Or Yeah, we just ran ourselves into the ground. I think a lot of people kind of think, oh, 200 shows a year, that sounds cool, but it's not that cool. And, you know, we're not sitting in a tour bus, like, rocking stadiums every night. We, mm-hmm. we, we spent the better part of the 90s on basement shows in the States, and I don't take for granted any of this stuff. I loved all this stuff, but I think after being in a van with each other for as many years as we did and for as long as we did it just took a toll everybody wanted to do something different with their lives and you just tired of staring at the same people in a van all the time you know Mm -hmm. um so it did take you know so we had a definite split and that was it and i i kind of wandered aimlessly kind of wondering what the hell i was going to do with my life for a while because i I just i'd always been in that band you know yeah so then that's sort of what led to this as a standoff then yeah you know i knew john john uh was in a band called 40 Cent Fix from Ottawa who we kept in touch with and I remember he was doing merch for Protest the Hero and he was out in Calgary here and we were just hanging out and I'd been you know toying with the idea with Graham from Belvedere about starting another band and, yeah. but it wasn't until John and I started writing where we kind of felt like this was the right group of people Okay, and then, uh, then we kind of went from there hmm. that's awesome uh, what was it like to finally reunite seven years later well it was weird it was really good because we went up we went up to Graham's house and actually jammed there and it was really good uh, it was weird because I really love playing those songs but it was it was kind of strange after being in this as a standoff because you have to kind of change gears you got to remember all the chords you got to mm-hmm. for me I have to remember all the singing and stuff so I yeah, I have to kind of retrain myself a little bit yeah I remember no that first show in, our first show was in Paris in 2012 and uh, we played for like an hour and a half and it was like it was really great, but I'm, I was felt really good afterwards because we kind of got that one out of the way. And then we played Grooves Rock, which is one of our biggest shows probably to date. I think there's, you know, a lot of people there. So um, it was uh, it was very good, um, and I'm really happy that we're we're together and having a good time because I really do enjoy those songs and, and I, I like the guys in the band a lot. And it's it's a lot of fun to play. That's good. Um, what are the challenges of being a band that sort of took? that larger period of time off like did you guys have to rebuild any momentum did the punk scene sort of accept you guys again like how did that all work I mean it was kind of an interesting thing because you know the other guys 
weren't out touring as much as I was. Like yeah. I, I had a pretty good idea that things were going to go okay with Belvedere because I spent the last you know s- five six years touring with this as a standoff mm-hmm. and talking with people about Belvedere and having them ask us to play Belvedere covers and stuff and us saying no. <laughs> but you know thanks you know but thanks for being here you know. So yeah. I had a good idea that that it was going to go pretty good. Um, I had no idea though it was going to go as good as it did, and it seemed like the band actually got bigger while we were split up. Oh, so wow. when we were coming back playing bigger festivals and bigger shows than mm-hmm. we had ever done when we were active. So, so it's kind of having uh, less people had access to being able to see you, so that kind of made them want you more type Yeah, thing, maybe, or? maybe, but I think also, like, you know, time time does, you know, you think the band splits up for seven years, and there's a whole group of kids now that are that are kind of coming into the punk scene that yeah. never saw us when we were when we were active, you know? Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, and, you know, I, I feel that, like, we've got really dedicated fans that even though we're in our 30s and 40s, you know, they still make time to come out to see us play, which we really appreciate. But I think now there's this sort of influx of, like, mm-hmm. you know, younger kids that are maybe coming to check us out. And I think that's where the festival circuit really helps us out in Europe because we're able to play with bands like No Effects and Pennywise and Bad Religion on these mm-hmm. festivals. And uh, we're able to, to play for more people. And so um, we're, we're very lucky that, um, that the band has seemed to gain a little bit of momentum. That's good. It's good that you guys are able to take your previous success and build on it once you came back well we kind of laugh about it now because we, we we've kind of uh, eaten dirt for quite a few years in the 90s um mm-hmm. you know doing these basement shows in front of five people and and it was a good character builder and i think it really shaped it shaped the band's focus and, and how we perceive things now because when we do these festivals in front of, front of thousands of people we don't take it for granted we kind of laugh at each other a lot because you're on stage and you're going, like, I can't believe this is still happening. And mm-hmm. I'm in my 40s now, and you kind of go, I still can't believe this is happening. And I think that's why the 15-year-old in me will never die in regards to this stuff. Because even though I do a lot of the booking and the band business and everything, and I should be more jaded, yeah, um, I don't feel like I am. I feel like it's still such a joy to be able to do this. That's good. That's good that you can keep a level head and that you understand that the music is still what's important about it and that the people are there and it is yeah it's good that you guys can actually appreciate the growth from a five person house show to like huge festivals it's it is it's it is some people just get frustrated with Mm -hmm. that and that's the reason why they leave the music industry rather Mm -hmm. than realizing that like you know what i'm gonna play my heart out for these five people and maybe i'll make five fans yep whereas like some people would just not do that at all. Well, we th- we one. It really struck me because when we first came back, we uh, we came back and, and we did some shows uh, out east, and we did we did Toronto at the Opera House. Yeah, and uh, and Willem Scream uh, opened up the tour, and uh, it was so funny because it was like you know back in the day we could never have dreamed to open a show there, and we were here we were headlining. It was sold out in front of like nine hundred people. And I'm looking out in the crowd, and I'm I, and I recognize a lot of these people because we've we've slept on their floors, we've played their basement shows in mm-hmm. all these little towns outside of Toronto, and everybody came together for us that night. And it, you know, we we played for an hour and forty five minutes that night. We played everything oh, wow. from our first album. I, you know, we got about seventy songs to kind of choose from. And I think we played about thirty five, forty that night, mm-hmm. and it was just so that that'll always stick in my head as such a special moment because it just felt like we got the whole gang together from Southern Ontario yeah. for that night and. Uh, it was very special that's awesome I'm glad that you guys could actually like get that feeling and make that difference over the years mm-hmm. um, you say that you book most of your tours and everything what is it like being a DIY artist that 
Well, that's all we. In. That's all we knew. I mean, we certainly had help from. I, I don't want to take credit here and say that we're completely DIY because we have had. You know, especially when we were active, we had booking agents. Yeah. We, we had labels. We had all that stuff. We we had to work up to that point, though. You know, that didn't just happen. And now we we kind of take the reins. We've got you know, all the contacts anyways. So okay. especially when you're kind of touring part time, you can only, you know, go up for a few days at a time. You have mm-hmm. to kind of things, make things work. And, and these are the relationships we have with these promoters. So, um, what's that like? That is a hard road to go, but it's the only road I know. Well, that's good. That's DIY is what a lot of people are trying to do now. And it's good to see that there's proven talent that has, well, it's kind of, of it's kind it. of funny that like I mean DIY can means a few things to me. I mean the thing is is that when you're from Calgary, I mean, we don't have the luxury of living in California and 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 being down the street from these labels and these agencies. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I I use Chicks Dig it as a model for us because Chicks Dig it ended up getting on you know some of those bigger labels, but they they were the guys that that, that they were the road dogs. You know, they they were just a small band from Calgary that like had had some great songs and a great attitude and, and just started pushing and pushing it and 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 carved the road. In fact, I credit. Chicks dig it for helping me back in the day learn about how to do visas to tour the states in the first place. Yeah, they were always that one band in Calgary that was so generous with their time, and um, and we and we stayed great friends with all those guys over the years because of that. Where it seemed like back in the day there was this sort of uh, mentality that it was this big competition, but Chicks dig it was always just kind of there having a good time there to help. Mm-hmm. And I've always taken from that and said I've always tried to help people as much as I can. Mm-hmm. But it's really funny because not many people in, in our, my, my own city have taken taken that offer see it's odd because i found the same thing too as like coming from saskatchewan where it's the music scene isn't really much into the punk feel Mm -hmm. these days or isn't and it's it is like once you break out into other places it seems that it's almost there's more people outside of your city that are affected by what you do and the things that you write and yeah it's amazing to meet those people. I think you got to keep a good attitude with this stuff. You know, we certainly caught our our share of shit talking from from local lo- the local scene here in Calgary. But you kind of, if all you do is sit around dwelling on that kind of stuff, you're never going to go anywhere. And the people that sort of like festered that and and, and built off that never really left Calgary. Mm-hmm. It's it is it's there's always going to be people that are negative towards you, but that just sort of seems to attest to are they really trying or are they just trying to knock you down because they're afraid that you're going to go further than they are well like i said i never thought much about it i was too busy going out there and that and and that was that that was the template that was set in front of me by good bands like chicks dig it that's good it's good that you have bands like chicks dig it because it's something that i've realized from both of your live shows is both bands are very big on Involving the fans and asking you, like, what do you guys want to hear? And it's connection. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. You guys are very, you guys are very humble in the way that you operate, and that's something that I really appreciate. And something from a larger band from Western Canada is mm-hmm. you guys are really, really care about your fans, which seems like a lot of bands don't. Mm-hmm. And well, thanks for saying that. I think I, you know. I, uh, to this day, we still make a lot of effort to go out, you know, not sitting in a back room somewhere, but going out there and, chat- and chatting with people. And oh, I, I know how much it means to me when bands do that with me. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've been fortunate enough to tour some, some really great bands that are, that are heroes of mine. And I think it's, it says a lot when you walk away from a tour going, those guys are just fucking great guys on mm-hmm. top of everything. Um, but I think the connection is that we built this fan base one CD at a time, one fan at a time. It was like, sure only five people are at the show but two of them are walking away with a CD and maybe maybe ten will be there next time you know that was mm-hmm. always our mentality and so I think you know I know I, I spend a lot of time still on social media 
engaging and, and, and talking with people because how can you not have time for people? Like they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're keeping our band going. Well, that's exactly it. Is it's a relationship that you need each other to operate, and yeah. a lot of people don't understand that, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. No, I like I say, I still pinch myself that we're still able to do this. Um, if you told me that, you know, when I was in my forties, I'd still be screaming my head off. I, <laughs> I, I don't think I would have believed you. That's a lot of people don't have that opportunity, and it's good that you do. It's mm-hmm. it's fantastic that a band from a place from Calgary is able to have that sort of longevity and mm-hmm. able to make and their it, difference. And I think too, like I mean, I it, it's taken a different meaning to me now because I you know I'm married and I have a, I have a young son and and through the last five years especially I've been able to involve my wife in a lot of the stuff she works and she's you know but she loves to travel and she loves selling t-shirts you'll tend to see her at the festival selling our mm-hmm. t-shirts and stuff so I have a good support system um, that's good you know she's been to Japan and South America and Europe a bunch of times and so we're able to, to make this more of a family thing and this last April, we played Gros Rock, and I was actually able to have my son and my mother-in-law, you know, on stage when we played. And so really? I got a picture of my kid with his little headphones on, and he didn't see the show because it's still too loud, even yeah. with the headphones. But uh, the fact that I was able to have him there is uh, was even better, and, and it kind of brings mm-hmm. all the, you know, because it's 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 a lot harder now to leave home. You know, no, when you have a kid, it, it, it tugs on me like I've never felt before. I used to be out the door faster than anything, but when you have a wife and a kid, it really it really does settle you a little bit. And uh, so it means means a lot to be able to have them there because I kind of get the best of both worlds. I don't have mm-hmm. to leave my family, but I'm able to still enjoy what I what I do. All right, we're gonna take a little bit of a break from our interview with Steve from Belvedere. Don't be too afraid, we're still going to ask him about some of his favorite songs to play live and some of the favorite songs that he's written. We're going to talk to him about the late 90s, early 2000s punk rock scene and how those bands still thrive today. We're going to talk a little bit about influencing people and political lyricing as well. But before we get to that, you know, as we do every week, we need to get into our desert tiger book club we do the desert tiger book club every thursday here on the podcast and this week we are going to review ender's shadow by orson scott card ender's shadow is a parallel novel to sci-fi epic ender's game and follows bean ender's most trusted friend in general bean is a young beggar boy and a runt of one at that Living in the mean streets of Rotterdam, where starvation and other gangs of kids are always a constant threat, Bean learns how to survive using his intelligence and his size. This immediately sets Ender's shadow apart from Ender's game, as Bean endures a much different upbringing and has such a different way of thinking and assessing situations because of that, which makes him so valuable to Ender later on. That aside from the fact that he is such a tiny target and can fit pretty much anywhere. Once Bean makes it to battle school, he falls under the watchful eye of Ender, who looks over him like the teachers once did to Ender himself, and they both quickly take to each other. Ender's shadow is an excellent read, as it not only adds to the Ender's game mythos, but also stands out on its own. Bean is an excellent character who is very well written and has a ton of struggles and it's fantastic to watch how he gets through all of them. This novel also ended up spawning the Ender's Shadow 
series of novels that a lot of people, including myself, would actually almost argue is better than the Ender's Game series, or the quartet of Ender's Game novels, as Bean has to deal with so much more real-life struggle as he is dealing with the aftermath of Battle School. As all the nations on Earth suddenly want to go to war now that there isn't a larger target again, so everybody wants to fight each other and they're trying to scoop up all these battle school children. And just being himself as a genius and the way he has to deal with it, and Ender himself goes more so into exile, so the Ender's shadow string of novels almost has more action, a little more suspense than the Ender's Game ones in a way, so that's something I definitely think that you should check out, as I myself definitely enjoyed it. Thank you for joining me here for the Desert Tiger Book Club. Once again, and without further ado, we get back into our interview with Steve Rawls of Belvedere. The Desert Tiger Podcast. So, do you enjoy the lesser touring schedule, like the more segregated yeah. timeline that allows you more time? For to- sure. I mean, we've certainly had our opportunities that we've jumped at. We, we've 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 taken on probably more touring than we probably normally would have. Uh, but some tours you can't say no to, right? So, yeah. Um, but I like the fact that we only do about twenty or thirty shows a year. That's a good sweet spot. I mean, truth be told, I probably could handle a couple more shows. Yeah. But that's just that's just what it's inside me I can't get rid of that <laughs> well that's what it is it's, you still gotta feed it a bit but yeah. it's you're not overdoing it no, and not and training I, yourself and people don't wanna see us in Toronto four times a year either you know you gotta make it a special thing too otherwise you're gonna be mm-hmm. back down playing in front of your five people again well, that's exactly <laughs> it you overwork your market yeah. and then what are you gonna have left when you come through the fourth time right it's, yeah yeah and, and I mean I guess that's maybe a little more businessy way to look at it but I, I think just ultimately we, we can tour as much as we can and uh, and I guess we'll just keep doing it as long as people want to come out and see us. So well, that's good. And, and, and if not, then I'll play an acoustic guitar to my kid at home, and I'll probably be happy to. So well, I hope that he enjoys it when you do. Yeah, he like my kid likes he likes music already. So well, that's good. That's good that you're getting him started early yeah. and getting him started right. You gotta. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned some of the bands that you've toured with in the past. Um, mm. Who are some of your favorite bands to tour with? And what are your, some of your favorite places that you have ever traveled? Like, what are some of your places to take some time to relax and see the sights? And Yeah, well, I think hands down, like, I, I think the Mad Caddies are probably one of our favorite bands to tour with. I think, I, I was counting it up the other day because I just saw them here over the summer. And uh, I think we played somewhere in the area of about 70 shows with them. And so we played in Canada, Europe. We did a big tour with them in Europe a bunch of years ago, and we did uh, California uh, with them as well. I would say they're probably our, our 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 good buds in terms of like you know bands that we that we've toured with in the past. Um, you know, local bands down way. We 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 slugged it out with them in the beginning in the '90s too. You know that we we were always kind of close buds with them. Uh, Pulley from the states. They uh, we we'd done some stuff in Canada as well as Europe with them too. Uh, Strung out's been really good to us too. And uh, and we just did a, a couple weeks tour in South America with Lagwagon. And for me, that was that was like you know that was the. That was the dream tour that you can't say no to. Yeah, that was one, that was one of those tours that just came down the pipe that you had to take. Right? That's right, you know, and, and and you know, it's difficult to get to get that two weeks off. Sometimes not all the guys can make it, but you know, Brazil and South America in general is probably one of the places we do best in. 
and uh, we've had a good fan base down there, and, and especially you throw Lagwagon in the mix, and uh, man, what a, what a blast, and it was with Adrenalized and Mute as well, it was just oh, such a awesome. killer group of friends, and we uh, we, we really had a blast, so uh, we, we did some dates with No Effects last year, and that was kind of a dream of mine too, because, you know, growing up, listening to them for the better part of 25, 30 years, yeah. um, those were big shows, and they were great, They're, the band and the crew were very nice to us. Um, and so, yeah, just uh, just another really cool check mark off the list, and mm-hmm. uh, and had a blast doing it. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys were, I guess I would say you guys were part of the '90s punk wave that broke out. Let's call you the original Warped Tour <laughs> bands. Um, I think what was we, that like? Well, I think we might have been we might have been a few classes behind that, but because um, I I kind of think of that group as that '95 '96 Fat Records Epitaph crew. Yeah, I think we kind of really got rolling about '99 2000, but. Um, man, it's just funny. Like, in a, a, a lot of those bands that I did grow up watching, we ended up touring with too. And it's it's funny to to. I think every, everyone's kind of. It is a bit of a bigger joke where everyone kind of you see each other and you kind of go, "Man, are we still doing this? This is awesome," you know. Um, so, what does that feel like? I mean, we did we did a we did the Warp tour for a couple of years there, um, certain spots, not the whole thing. But um, it's funny to 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 play these festivals now, like Rock Fest and stuff, and it feels like all those bands from the Warp tour in the '90s and early 2000s are now playing these festivals. We're all 15, 20 years older, mm-hmm. um, but the kids are still there, you know. Well, that's it. Is it's there's always going to be the need for that angsty type, rebellious type of music because there's always going to be those people that need it. And yeah, I mean, you know, it certainly isn't how things were in the mid 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 to late '90s in terms of, of people coming out because people move and change and 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 change to different kinds of music. But yeah, there is a core group of people that came out of that era or maybe you know after that era that really like whatever this music is whatever you call it skate punk melodic hardcore I've, I've heard so many different things we've always just been a punk band and we certainly came I think our band came in at a time where um, you know, we tried to do things a little bit differently we, yeah. we weren't just like four four straight ahead you know first chorus first chorus we tried to be a little tricky with some of the guitar stuff and some of the songwriting and stuff and uh, it resonated with some people and uh, I don't take I, I don't make us to be bigger than what we are I, it resonated with some people and, uh, and we're, we're fortunate enough that that was the case. That's awesome. Um, what inspires you to continue writing punk music, especially when you're in your 40s? I just like it. And I think that, you know, um, we've, uh, punk music's always been a voice to me. And it's been, it's been a, a very, it's been a topical uh, style of music for me, you know. I, I don't. I never got a lot from from metal and metalcore and stuff. And I'm not saying it's not good music, but a lot of the stuff, if you actually break down the lyrics, it just never spoke to me that the way punk did. You know, mm-hmm. punk to me was was the Dead Kennedys and DOA and No Effects and and uh, you know Bad Religion was a big one for me back then too. Those were bands that really kickstarted my like for this kind of music. But it wasn't just the music itself. I, I found some of the music was accessible. It was easier to play. Um, than you know maybe some crazy Metallica riff or something like that back in the day, but uh, you know or, or crazy metal, you know Iron Maiden stuff was always really great stuff. But like yeah. I couldn't hope, and to this day I can't dream to play that <laughs> stuff. You want you want good guitar playing? You ask Scott. You don't ask me. Yeah. But you know um, it always punk always seemed really accessible uh, lyrically. 
Uh, it, it, it taught me a lot of things that I didn't really know about, something I wasn't going to get on mainstream rock. Um, you know, you listen to any propaganda record, and I go back to their first record, you know, that was, mm-hmm. that's where I started with them. And it taught me about vegetarianism, it taught me about sexism and homophobic and, and all this kind of stuff that it, it, it put it under a microscope and you went, man, I gotta not only think about how I live my life, but I have to, I have to spread this to other people, you know? So when I was in my teens, I was like showing people like bands like Propaganda and No Effects, going like, this is, this is, real shit. Well, know? it's actually trying to make a difference yeah. as opposed to just trying to catch your ear for three minutes and make you dance That's and right. make you feel good. It's That's actually, right. It's actually trying to make you realize that you can make a difference in the world yeah. and that there is an actual opportunity because if these bands can do it, then you can do it too. And Yeah, I, I guess that's why I kind of scratch my head when people say like to bands that are a little more political or socially uh, socially conscious of, of, of their lyrics, they're like, oh, you know, don't don't preach, just 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 play, just play your music, and I I don't get that because it, th- those bands were always the I, I'm there for that, you know I'm not I'm not yeah okay maybe 20 minutes you know speech between songs is maybe not how how I would I would necessarily get That's my message across, but, but at the <laughs> same time like you know you're not listening to these bands just for the music you got it you got it you can't say that you're not you're not taken in by by some of the things that they're saying and if you're not getting that message maybe listen again. Well, and it's just it is like, and if the music you're listening to isn't giving you that sort of feeling, or isn't it, like drawing feelings from you, or isn't teaching you something, is it really actually doing anything for you? Well, I've always liked to be challenged, like, and, and that's not only as a player but also as a listener. I, mm-hmm. I like, you know, myself like many hundreds of thousands of people out there, are always excited when Propaganda puts out a record, yeah, because you know that's not going to come out every year that they took their time with it musically and lyrically there's going to be something there that's going to blow your head off and, it, and every mm-hmm. time it does it's one of the only bands I can say that about mm-hmm. and there's a lot of great records that come out but, but that's the kind of excitement and challenge that I want you know mm-hmm. um, they actually pour their hearts into like what can we do with this song and what can we do with that rather yeah. than like how can we make this last on the top 40 like how, for how great how great you know of a, of a time do we live in like when the kind of records that are coming out now you know bands that are supposedly past their prime are putting out these records look at Lagwagon's last record Hang yeah. what an amazing record last strung out record is unbelievable the, la- you know, the latest no FX album then that's amazing yeah like it's, it's start to finish too mm-hmm. you know there's it is it is so good and, and what I like about those records is it doesn't it doesn't make you think it's the best record the first time these these are albums that you're going to listen to 10, 12 times and you're going to mm-hmm. get it somewhere around then and those are the records that stay with you the records that the, you. the records that mm-hmm. like like kind of dress up the cotton candy and get you all sweet and into it you know you forget those records but it's the records that have real substance like the records that I talked about those are the records that you'll listen to for the next 20 years well and that's it is it something that on your 20th listen you can actually pick up something that maybe you didn't hear the first time whereas with the bubblegummy type stuff it's you've heard it for the 20th time and now you're starting to get sick of it because I mean, look at look at look at uh, Mad Caddy's last record, Dirty Rice. That's yeah. our favorite Mad Caddy's record, and that is that's hard for me to say because I love just one more and mm-hmm. Duck and Cover and all those bands. But but the Mad Caddy's came out with such a good record um, that not only can I listen to it, but my kid loves it. Yeah, which is fantastic mm-hmm. because it's it's spanning generations mm-hmm. now, and that's speaking for itself. And one thing I'm enjoying a lot with a lot of these bands is they're taking a lot more time with their albums too. Yeah, which seems to be giving them a lot more. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot less pressure on them, especially yeah. like when you said with you, like there's a lot more time to write, and you're coming out with a lot more quality material for sure. 
Yeah, and I want, you know, Pulley's another good example of that too. You know, they put out a really great record there last year as well. So well, I just think it's a really good time for music. Yeah. And it's not coming at you as quickly as it used to, but but it, but it's really mm-hmm. good when it does come out. Well, that's it. Is there's still some of those bands that are on that two or three year cycle and they're trying to do it, but a lot of them are still trying to make their way. Whereas yeah. a lot of the bands that already have proven and already know that their fan base is sticking with them can take a little bit more time with it. Yeah. Which is fantastic. No, for sure. Um,. Well, we talked about some of your songwriting. What are some of your favorite Belvedere songs, and why? Well, I think live Brandywine's probably my favorite. I think the crowd interaction there is really good. We always kind of nudge everybody to sing along, and it's it's one that's kind of stuck out. Slaves to the Pavement's also a lot of fun to play live. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of like in terms of a lot of our fans are in bands themselves. So I think yeah. it's it stuck out a little bit to kind of, I think it's, it's such a fun song to play because it's like every day I kind of think about the lyrics, like, you know, we're still here. It's like, we are still here and it's kind of a funny thing and, and we feel mm-hmm. good about that. Um, but on the new record, there's some, there's some good ones I really like. Um, I think Jay wrote, Jay wrote Shipwreck and, and that's, that's a great song that I love playing. Um, Hairline's also really good. There's some ones that we don't play live as much that I think are personally mean a lot to me. Yeah. Uh, like Generation Debt is like, that's just like keeping my kid in mind as the world, you know, explodes well, and it's, slowly it's, around it's, us. We are like completely in this generation of like, we're getting stuck in this hole of like, how do we bail ourselves out and yeah. the future has to take it on. And yeah. And I think like Revenge of the Fifth, um, it's it's a tricky one guitar wise, playing wise, but also lyric wise, it means a lot to me as well. And Sort of that, uh, you kind of wreck it. That one maybe is a little more positive than it probably comes off, but it, it actually is. It is kind of a celebration of, uh, of, of, you know, not just not just you know bowing down and 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 accepting how things are, but actually going out there and making a change and trying to trying to steer everybody mm-hmm. in the right direction, one person at a time. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Revenge of the Fifth. Mm-hmm. How does it differ from the earlier releases from Belvedere? Well, lyrically, I I, I probably. I used to write a lot of Belvedere songs at 4 o'clock in the morning. I don't do that anymore. I would say that, you know, there's probably a lot of uh, references and a lot of, uh, a lot of things alluding to, to certain topics but not really coming out and saying it. I think The Revenge of the Fifth is, is, uh, is about as direct as you can get. I'm not really mixing words. So what you, what you read on there is what I'm trying to say to you. So you're not trying to veil things as much anymore? No, thing, no. Yeah, I think I just kind of just picking a topic and going with it and, and, and making a definite choice of what my stance is on things. So hmm. Just shooting straight and going right for well, it. Well, and I think, like, you know, I'm trying to be a little more... I'm trying to write, you know, lyrics that have more substance than than wrestling songs of the past and all that <laughs> stuff. But, you know, yeah. like, when you're when you're 19 and you're 41, there's a difference in how, how things are. I've got a lot more riding on it now in that I've got a, I've got a family and I've got, mm-hmm. I've got a real urge to see this... This uh, planet and this this uh, human race of ours uh, move along. <laughs> I, I really do as well, and I hope they do too. It's, mm-hmm. We're kind of stuck in a rut, and we need to push out of it. There's a lot better things that the human race could be doing with themselves. And I had this conversation with my wife a while ago, and it was we were kind of talking about the whole idea of, of money and and power and and and, uh, and and our society in general. And it's kind of funny because. We, you have to think of how lucky we are even just to be here. And I, I, I mean, as a whole, but individually. If yeah. you think of the how we're born and how how a planet evolves, and just the whole idea of this planet even being here in the first place, we're so lucky that you know we have we've been given this opportunity to like advance 
and and work with our planet and and I mean with it alongside it not against it and work with each other and what do we do we start wars we kill we kill the the, the, the planet that we're living on we, we find we're, any reason to not agree with each other I just think I just think that we we need to um, we need to celebrate how lucky we are to be here and find ways to you know because I think I think the the human race has a real we have a real opportunity here to to be something better than we are and uh unfortunately we just keep getting dragged into hate and uh and war and uh and destruction and i, and I know it's that that's part of our dna but i think that you know we're at the top of the food chain for a reason and we have to sort of like we have to we have to grow out of that we've, mm-hmm. we've got to we've got to go forward and 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 be a little better well it's it as part of our dna is hate but some mm-hmm. of our part dna is love too and there's got to be a time when the human race has to exude that more so than everything else one would hope well and social media is not helping things you know it's, it's really it's really easy to uh to 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 grab on to hate but you have to just you got to like tunnel vision like love 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 work on things you know we got it you know and 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 i guess that's an easier said than done thing because you got to be someone who's willing to fix things rather than someone who's willing to say well this isn't my problem i'm not going to deal with it blah blah and i say i say that i say that as a privileged canadian you know i i Mm -hmm. I, I was dealt some good hand um you know being born in this country and and having you know the not only the right but the uh, the ability to to speak my opinion um right you know I know there's a lot of people in different countries that don't have that uh, don't have that privilege. Well, it's there's a lot of people who wish they could play in a political punk band that would be thrown in jail or possibly even worse, probably even worse for trying to do something like that. And it has happened in the past, and it's pretty terrible that like there's places where people are controlled and don't have their own freedom. Yeah. Okay. Um, what are some of the best? Belvedere road stories. Do you have any good tour stories? <laughs> don't put me on the spot. I don't know. Uh, you don't have to uh, throw anyone under the bus. Yeah, there's, you know, I, there's just so much, like, you know, and you read all these books of these other bands, like, and you, the stuff that happened to us can't, can't even compare. So I, I'm not really even going to bring it up. But no, it's okay. we, we, we've spent a lot of time, and uh, we've spent a lot of time out there, and we've done some really dumb things. Nothing that I that I couldn't share with my family or wife, but uh, uh, you know we've we've definitely uh, I don't know we, we alcohol drove this band for a long time and thankfully it's it's taken us it's taken a backseat. <laughs> well, that's good. It seems to be the, <laughs> my liver uh, and my and my liver thanks me for that. So I'm sure it truly does. What are some of your favorite places to play and why? Like you mentioned that you tour Europe a lot. Yep. You've been to yeah. South America. And yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, Japan has always been really good for the band. Um, we're hoping to go there again here in 2018. Nice. Um, yeah, that's always been really good for us, you know, just in terms of, like, good label support and good fans there. Um, we've had some great tours there. Uh, South America's easily the craziest, though. I mean, um, you know, we've been hitting Brazil uh, somewhat frequently over the last little while, but we've gone back to some places like Colombia and... And, uh, and and now Chile and Peru and Argentina that um, we had some fans there we had no idea and, and they're probably some of the craziest that we've ever had so those are really good Italy's always been really good and just like that Ontario Quebec you know like Montreal's always been really good for Belvedere oh, and, and Toronto and so um, uh, the list goes on I mean the band's probably been to probably 35 or more countries and uh, I was in Russia with this as a standoff and had oh, no wow. had no idea how great the fans were there and we had huh. we, we played a killer show in Moscow there a bunch of years ago and 
um, hey, you never know until you get out there, right? Exactly, right? You have to spread your wings and try things before you actually know if it's going to work or not. And that's why streaming and downloading music and stuff has never been a bad thing for our band. It's always been what's propelled our band because we weren't on these big labels and it's it's kind of been the, uh, you know, it's been the streaming and the stealing music that mm-hmm. has kind of driven our band. So, yeah. no, it's, it, uh, is, it's, it, it hurts the larger artists, but it almost seems to help the smaller ones in a way. Yeah, well, we'd have no chance. If we were worried about you know, record sales in Brazil or, or, or Russia, we'd never go there. Yeah. But because, you know, people don't buy records in those places. And, well, mm-hmm. th- truthfully, they don't buy them anywhere now. But, like, well, it's... Well, a lot of people but, don't. <laughs> but, but, but that's never been our thing. You know, it's always about get the music out however mm-hmm. possible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was always kind of funny to me when our albums leaked early or, you know, people is like, oh, they're, you know, all this crazy streaming from this, from this country. And it's like, eh, awesome. That means a bunch of people have our record. And why did we make it in the first place? We didn't yeah. make, we don't make music to make money. Mm-hmm. We make music to, to get our message out and have a good time and a tour. And look mm-hmm. what it's done for us. Well, that's it. As if you were doing it to make money, you'd be one of those people who's trying to make the top 40 charts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't be playing 240 beats a minute if I was looking to get on the charts. <laughs> <laughs> No, be playing four chords, maybe three, and <laughs> probably two. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, so no, I don't know how to work a synthesizer, so there you go. <laughs> That's a good reason not to do it. All right, I have one last question for okay. you. Well, then I have one last answer. All right, so who were your idols in music and in life when you were growing up? I would say um, band-wise, Pennywise, No Effects, Bad Religion. Those are the first three that really got me going. Um, I would say that you know bands like Strung Out, Mad Caddy's Lagwagon, um, Pulley, those were all bands, and luckily for us, we got to play with them. Um, That's awesome. I, I, I played a little football in high school. I had a high school coach who just not only helped me with, on the football field and helped me like you know really like grow as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, he helped me. He introduced me to a recording engineer that used to work for CBC, his next door neighbor, oh, and wow. that helped me propel into getting into that kind of got my life into 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 music and and mm-hmm. the whole recording aspect of it and it actually was the start of me starting my record label when i got out of high school so you know you never know when where, where the influence comes from you know a, mm-hmm. a, a football coach helped me get you know more into i was already going to shows i loved punk but i didn't understand the 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 aspect of it that aspect yeah. of the recording the business part of it and i met a guy named bob doble that worked at cbc and uh, he just uh, laid a lot of stuff out that I really was, was itching for. That's good to hear. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining us Thanks. today. Thanks for having me. No problem at yeah. all. Awesome. Awesome. All right. I want to give a big thank you to Steve Rawls of Belvedere for joining us here on the Desert Tiger podcast. He took time out of his busy day to give us a great interview, and we are extremely, extremely thankful for that. And we are also extremely thankful for you the listener of the desert tiger podcast because without you we wouldn't be able to do this whether you're listening on itunes google play music or stitcher you know we love you and we hope that you rate and review the show on itunes so that we can continue to bring you a high quality list of guests and talent you can find the Desert Tiger Podcast on social media at Desert Tiger Entertainment on Facebook, Desert Tiger Pod on Twitter, or Desert Tiger Podcast on Instagram. 
We will be back next Tuesday with a show with Too Soon Monsoon out of Saskatoon. Try saying that ten times fast, why don't you? I know I probably couldn't. And before we let you go, we need to let you know how to apply for the song of the day or to give us a book club suggestion. You send those on over to desert.tiger.podcast at gmail.com. And we will get that up on our show. We'll make that work out. And before we let you go, you know we always give you a quote of the day to get you through your hard day. So, this one comes to us from Teddy Roosevelt himself. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause. Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement? And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat? This has been episode 8 of the Desert Tiger Podcast, and I hope you enjoyed today's show, and I hope you join us for episode 9, Too Soon Monsoon, next Tuesday. The Desert Tiger Podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. iTunes, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Thanks for listening.